1: Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso and Guy Adami. There is new trouble brewing in IPO land. One of WeWork's biggest investors says WeWork won't work as things stand right now. We've got all the details straight ahead. Plus, topping the tape, the one retail stock stretching higher today thanks to an upgrade. We'll bring you that name But we begin with a big battle brewing in the wizarding world of Silicon Valley. The wands are out between Snap CEO Evan Spiegel and Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, this after Snap reportedly conjured up a whole chamber of secrets on Facebook in a dossier titled Project Voldemort, according to The Journal. The document lays out all the ways Facebook allegedly tried to thwart the competition, including discouraging influencers from referencing Snap in their posts, and even preventing Snap content from trending on Instagram. Now, Snap is hoping the Ministry of Magic, known in our muggle world wow. as the FTC, Jeez. will get up to their wizarding ways and step in. But will regulators be able to work any real magic here, guys? Wow. That was one wow. of the best opens in <laughs> the history of the
2: show. He doesn't
3: even know what to say
4: anymore. I I mean, bad. it's
3: incredible. Do you even know For what she said? I know. No,
4: I'm, you know, I'm familiar with this Harry Potter thing. I'm just quickly. Yes. There are like eight of these movies. Yes. They're all, it's the exact same it's movie. Same. I knew you were it's just say the that. kids get older. They run around with wands, Don't spoil the exact Don't spoil thing. do the ending for no, me, guy. It's true. I I'm not spoiling any. Spoil anything. Anything. It
5: sounds a lot like fast money. It's a scam. <laughs> we just <laughs> get older
6: and say
1: this
4: We run right? around with, with our with wands. wands. <laughs> Good job. Steve Grouse Back to ready. topic. I want to, I, I want to dislike Facebook in the worst way. I want to stand here and say, you know what, the stock has said it's significantly lower. But the reality is, it, technically it's done everything it should have done. Now, into the summer, into the July quarter, we said, You know what? This is what's going to happen. It's going to go back and test that July high from last year to 11. It's going to fail. That's exactly what happened. So you have this major double top. But you go back to that quarter on July 25th or so, outstanding. People aren't fleeing. Advertisers have nowhere to go. Their operating margins seem to be improving. ARPU was better than expected. So as much as I want to hate it and as much as regulation could crush these guys and gals, I think you got to buy the stock into their October thirtieth release.
1: ARPU being average revenue per user. I, I teed
4: course. that up for you.
3: Of course. Well, so ARPU is actually holding fine. Obviously, all the ad uh, metrics are are actually quite amazing. And and the, the 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 bull case for people that think there could be more regulation is that Facebook, some of the parts, including WhatsApp and Instagram, that are that are highly uh, valuable properties with massive user bases that may be under monetized at this point, um, leads to a place where people might be begin to value the company otherwise. Because I- as far as I'm concerned, Facebook is trading at a discount, has underperformed the sector. And despite the fact that you haven't seen people migrating really in mass to other forms, and in fact, I would argue that they and Google control the ad space uh, in today's media world, even more so than traditional media companies, so far Facebook is not yielding a premium on its multiple. And why is that? So
1: is that discount the regulatory discount?
0: I think it's a regulatory discount. I think it's the idea that, face- that the challenge is the narrative that Facebook is trying to create a super app which includes their WhatsApp, which includes Instagram and the traditional what you think of Facebook, and also includes their Libra, right? So the problem you have with Facebook or the risk to Facebook's story is that they can't get any of these things done, and then all of a sudden this combination, this super app that they're trying to get together doesn't happen, and you're just left with all these disparate parts. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen, but I think that's probably why Facebook hasn't hit new highs yet.
1: Look at all these instances in which Facebook allegedly copied or came out with a feature that was very similar to snap and the ftc by the way isn't isn't just talking to snap they're also talking to other previous acquisition targets or smaller competitors that would have been acquisition targets So, but how many times has
5: apple copied samsung limitless seven right (laughs) exactly so the point is it's okay to be copied are we using it as a template though that these big companies are being broken up I think that's the bigger thing, is that if now all of a sudden you start to break up Facebook, does that domino through the whole large cap tech? But is
4: Facebook, you know, you can make a bull case that if they do try to break up Facebook, the stock should actually be significantly higher to Tim's Earlier point, so I hate the win-win thing, and we talked about this last week, but right now, and BK's bear case is probably a six to nine month or, or a year uh-huh. bear case, but into earnings a month from now or yeah, 35 not, days from now. I don't now. know
5: how this, the sum of the parts, is a positive this time around, because it's a forced thing by the government. It's an overreach. I think that's a screaming negative this
3: time
1: Well, around. if it's a win-win, then why would there still be a, a discount to valuation because of the regulatory risk?
3: I, I think Facebook needs a catalyst of some kind. And, and certainly since we had all the you know the dynamics around the elections and all the issues that brought on extra scrutiny from a regulatory perspective and a privacy perspective, again, I think the privacy issue is as important as the regulatory issue, even though people haven't walked with their feet. I, I think at its core, Facebook is a company who has a product that at some point uh, there is... Some, something that could be mildly tenuous about the loyalty there. Um, but it comes down to this stock has traded roughly between 20 and 30 times multiple for, for the last five years and traded at a massive discount even to something like a Microsoft at this point. When you look at mega cap tech, they're, they're apples and oranges except for the fact that there's a scarcity in the social media space. As far as I'm concerned, Facebook should be trading at such a bigger number that, that the irony here is that if you break this company up and you force it to break down these core businesses, I think they're going to stand on their own and I think they're going to be worth a whole lot more.
1: I think you bring up a good point in terms of the privacy issue because these are separate issues. These are some of the biggest issues, right? Mm-hmm. That that Congress, that the FTC, whoever wants to come down on big tech, big tech for whether we're right. using their dominant position or the privacy issues, so, two huge things. And for Facebook, they're facing, they're in the crosshairs for both of them.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think it's important to separate those two, right? Because you have one allegation or one thing that Congress may come down on them for, which is kind of using their position to bully around and push around competition or to keep competition now, that's an, an age-old tactic that everybody from every industry has used. That's one thing. The privacy issues, to me, go a little bit more to the credibility of the company and, and exposes them a bit to potential competitors. Now, we haven't seen a real competitor. They have a massive moat because of the size of their social network, because of that network effect, but you can start to erode the credibility. And, and to you know, Guy was saying, my you know, my bear case, I'm not necessarily bearish on Facebook. I'm just not crazy bullish on it, but it is a longer-term type of thing. It's not like the next month all of a sudden this thing's going to fall apart, but you can start to see
4: how the story begins to deteriorate and erode. Totally agree. I couldn't agree more. But then again, go back to the second quarter release on July 24th. Analysts Six of them at least were tripping over themselves collectively to raise their price targets. And the price targets that I see are anywhere from 225 to 260. So the stock has sold off, and technically it did what it should have done. But now you have to ask yourself in an environment where this broader market just goes sideways and doesn't seem to want to go lower, doesn't Facebook sort of set up well on the long side into earnings a month from now? I would say yes. Yes. Yeah, and I, it pains well, me to say it. I,
3: I, you know, if you want the market to move higher, you, you need Facebook and you need Google as far as I'm concerned. These are the two names that I think have the most opportunity from a valuation perspective. The companies that certainly have probably the most strikes against them in, in terms of either the, the world of the analyst community or just where people are positioned. And, and I think that's kind of independent. Facebook above 191, kind of breaking above 195.
5: Th- that is something that's very bullish overall for markets.
1: Is this good for Twitter or Snap?
5: I think Twitter has gone under radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, oddly enough, Twitter has been the winner out of all these. Snap is up two hundred and ten percent year to date. We didn't even talk much about that. That screams of the lack of positioning to the long side. I think that's probably run out of run its course uh, already. I would say two hundred and ten percent.
1: All right, let's turn to uh, sorting up what uh, def- sorting hats. No.
5: Huh? Sorting hats? Uh, I don't sort
3: hats. Yeah. No, I don't No, either. I mean, I just stack let's, them. Let's, let's I've got a find big out of which social hats. stocks belong right.
1: in i also put your hats actually up. upside I down. I thought perhaps there was another Harry Potter reference. I'm not too familiar with the Harry Potter oh, books, and hats so I thought perhaps I was missing something, but apparently not. Uh, Chartmaster Carter works over at the Plaza to break it all down. Hey, Carter.
7: Well, uh, interesting times. So I thought we'd start <laughs> with a, an ETF that captures all of this. It's got a cute symbol, social, SOCL. And it's dozens and dozens of stocks, but the top five are here, and you can see their names. So about 45 50% are in the top five, six names. Obviously, Twitter being the big weight, then Facebook, Tencent, Naver in South Korea, and Snap. So let's plot the chart of this ETF, and let's move on to some individual names. Now, obviously subjective, but this is how I would draw the lines. You've got a lot of tension here. You're working into the apex of the situation and what that typically means is is that you get something quite dynamic and in fact it's almost jump ball bulls will say this of course bears will say that if i pull this back even further here is the same setup going back for five years now if i were to put the long-term trend line were we simply to come back to the long-term trend line and ie break below and that's my hunch I think we get back to the longer trend. that would have been about an 8% decline from here. My hunch is this is what happens rather than to the upside. In any event, let's talk about um, these three stocks, and is making this point, obviously Snap has been uh, the big winner over the past year, and then of course you see Facebook lagging, and I want to look at that, and I think that's not an opportunity, I think that's a, a problem. So. Very simple charts. An uptrend is an uptrend is an uptrend. This stock is in an uptrend. and It is bounced off this line. They're not my lines. The lines are what they are. It looks like it's going higher. And then you've got Twitter, and it's done the same darn thing. It's bounced off of trend. Computers draw trends. Chartists draw trends. What's not to like? And then there is, however, this one, which has, yes, bounced off the line and bounced off the line, but now is sort of a bit under, a bit below. I'm struggling at the line. I think that's at risk of ultimately breaking, and what you would get is that. And that, even as that happens, is an unhappy setup. That's about all I know.
1: Carter, why don't you come on yeah. over? Come back to We've that. got lots yeah. of yeah. questions. Comes comes will will bring the chair in. does yeah, a great job. Yeah.
4: Can I just quickly, Carter yeah. would be that little blonde kid in those Harry Potter's. Thank you, Will. Puff and Puff. Or, sure. What's that kid's name? You know what I'm talking about? So uh, is, he, my, is he a he's villain? A bad guy. Is he he's a, a villain. Bad, oh,
7: he's a bad he's guy. A I'd be on the bad guys. Just in All looks right,
3: alone. Right. I mean, you're obviously not a villain. <laughs> Would he have one of those beanies with the propellers on top? I, or is that okay, other, okay I let's know, get know. back <laughs> on,
1: on the rails here. Please. Um, in terms of Facebook, if it does turn lower, Carter, what is the next support?
7: Well, it's, it's funny. I mean, just addressing what you said. I mean, obviously, the support is anywhere you might think it. But it's, I think Amazon also is equally at risk. Google mm-hmm. is important. But those two in particular, Netflix we've already heard from. It's in trouble, right? But Facebook and Amazon here, if and as they weaken, I'm not sure. Well, look at today. That's what kept the market from essentially like the banks were okay. industrials was okay. These big names that are so loved, if and as they don't progress, the market can't progress.
1: So it is, as Tim, well, Tim said Facebook and Alphabet. Right. You would throw in their Amazon, though Amazon. of course. Yeah. yeah,
7: same same general circumstance. Heavy, a little bit ominous, needs to prove itself with this next earnings. Are
5: program. you equating that to, because when I look at the S&P, you can make the case either way at this point. Either it's rolling over. right well, we got right roll, back roll to those times and we're out.
7: churning, right? Just as it, you can make the case with that wedge for... The social yeah,
5: So what level? Sorry, I just simplify it for you. What level to the downside do you think the case is broke? For me, it's twenty nine seventy nine. Real short leash on the S and P. You'll probably yeah, give it a little more room. Well,
7: that's short. But I mean, either way, I think you would agree that it, any weakness from here would start to undermine the notion that we're going to break out.
1: Okay. Carter, we're going to have to let you go. We've got Thanks. some news here. Carter Braxtonworth, Cornerstone. We've got a news alert. President Trump is in New York City for meetings ahead of the U.N. General Assembly. Just a few minutes ago, he was asked about trade negotiations with China. Eamon Javers is back at headquarters with the latest. Eamon.
6: Yeah, Melissa, that's right. You remember so much attention last week focused on the idea that the Chinese were canceling their scheduled visit to the Midwest where they were going to talk agriculture with American farmers. Well, the president at an unrelated bilateral session at the U.N. today was just asked about that moments ago, and he had an interesting exchange with the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, over what exactly happened last week. Here's how we said it.
2: That was actually at our request they delayed that. So we didn't want there to be any confusion. They have started buying agriculture. They're going to reschedule that at a different time, the time it didn't work. Uh, but that was, that was purely our request. Why was that our
7: request? Just out of curiosity.
2: Uh, we, we didn't want confusion around the trade. Yeah, but I want them to buy farm products. They, there was no confusion. We want them to buy agriculture. <laughs> they committed to buy agriculture.
6: So, Melissa, you get the sense there that that was the first time the president had heard that it was at the U.S. request that the Chinese canceled their visit to the Midwest. The president's saying, look, uh, I want them to buy farm products. I want them uh, to go through the Midwest buying products from American farmers. That's the desired outcome here. There are a lot of political reasons, though, why the United States uh, might not want uh, Chinese buyers touring through the Midwest in an almost a campaign-style uh, event uh, announcing ag purchases. So uh, you get the sense that uh, Mnuchin was saying that there's some confusion here as as to what exactly is happening, we asked them to, to back off that, and they did. But uh, an interesting moment there, Melissa.
1: Why wouldn't they, Amen? I mean, from what I understand, because on Power Lunch we actually spoke to the national director of the Montana Farm Bureau about specifically the Chinese canceling the visit. It sounded like the Chinese had reached out directly, which is sort of an unusual protocol. They usually go through somebody within the government to arrange such a tour of, of farmland. Um, and that the Chinese had reached out first thing in the morning to cancel this. But no details were actually, there was no itinerary, there was no set schedule. It was, it was very sketchy to begin with.
6: Right. Yeah, and what you heard Mnuchin there was say, saying that the United States asked the Chinese to back off that visit. Why would they want them to back off it? Well, maybe the media attention surrounding it uh, could be something that the United States didn't want at this point. Mnuchin said we didn't want any confusion surrounding the negotiations. That is, maybe uh, he doesn't want uh, American farmers to think that we're at an endgame, mm. st- an end stage here to this negotiation if, if in reality we're not.
1: Okay. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers, in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey today. Mm unusual we saw how fragile we were on Friday how we reacted so immediately to that headline that the Chinese had canceled this trip
5: it's amazing to me that we didn't hear about this that was obviously what the weakness was in the market why Trump didn't have his ear to the ground uh, on this and we find out a day later um, you have your Euro- European uh, PMI's in the toilet you have our growth subject to a recession and now you look at a stock like John Deere up 10 percent for the year If these talks are still on and there's nothing to worry about, that stock should move higher.
0: I mean, the key for the market here is any incremental movement on trade talks, right? So at some point in time over the last sell-off, we have priced in, quote-unquote, the worst-case scenario. So if you get some movement incrementally, that's going to be generally positive uh, for this. The one thing I to look at, if you're looking for an ETF on a way-to-play kind of ag, DBA, which is the agriculture index that trades a lot of the, you know, corn and soybean and those type of things, that's the heart of what's going on here. I, you know, it, to me, it looks like it's trying to bottom, but I don't, you know, the problem... Hey. You know, catching a falling knife. That top.
1: has no oil in it as that opposed to some no of the other oil, don't commodity yeah. ETFs. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah, I, I don't, I, it's very like, it's very difficult to trade in and out on these headlines. The things that people should be following to me that are more important are the Fed and the Fed today that also made a couple comments that made it sound like even the most dovish member of the Fed only has one more cut in them this year. That's the stuff that I think the market's probably more concerned about. And then you look at the 10-year yields. I realize there's a lot of technical components of what's going on here, but bond yields are coming back in. The dollar's going higher. Those are two very powerful trades right now that I think ultimately control the equity market
4: draco malfoy was that little kid the little blonde toehead oh kid I was thank saying, you know, goodness you knew uh, that
1: because i was it was really
4: i know that sarcasm does not become you know, you know. Number, you number two i mean i hate the word awkward because i think when you say it, it things become awkward awkward but that mnuchin thing <laughs> i mean that's awkward. about as awkward like your as parents it fighting
1: or something and, so, and the
4: last point is <laughs> listen again I don't, I mean, we're getting strung out. I don't see any deal coming. I think Goldman Sachs said that as well. So, yeah. I mean, you can get good headlines, bad headlines, but this sucker's going to continue to get dragged out.
1: Coming up, WeWork's IPO drama Reaching a Fever pitch we will explain what that could mean for the IPO craze and the markets. And speaking of the markets, one top JP Morgan strategist says there are three keys to this next rally. He'll tell us why stocks could have more room to run. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. We are following a developing story on WeWork. Pressure is mounting on the company's founder and CEO, Adam Newman after WeWork postponed its IPO roadshow. Let's get to Deidre Bosa live in San Francisco with the very latest. Deidre.
8: Melissa, that is right. Adam Newman's role as CEO is being questioned after reports of smoking pot on a plane, heavy tequila shots, questionable hiring, and of course, those corporate governance liabilities that the IPO prospectus shed light on for everyone. Now, sources tell CNBC that it is SoftBank, WeWork's biggest external shareholder leading the pressure against Newman. Matsu-san, the man behind SoftBank's vision fund, he first invested in WeWork and Newman after a 28-minute car ride. But as WeWork approached an IPO and Newman started to look more like a liability, they threatened to tarnish Massasan's record as a VC investor right as he's trying to raise more money for a second vision fund. Now, as we expect a board meeting sometime this week to determine Newman's fate, both sides will need to tread carefully. Newman still has majority voting power. He could fire the entire board and keep his position, but his company needs cash. If no IPO, remember, that's contingent on a debt deal. He wouldn't be getting that. And he may actually still need more SoftBank money. SoftBank, for its part, has its investment and its record as a VC to protect how it treats Newman could affect its ability to invest in other startups, other founders. Now, as for the rest of the board that you see here, it is unclear where they stand on Newman as CEO. There's Ron Fisher, who represents SoftBank. Bank, Stephen Langman, co-founder of PE firm Roan Group, who goes back years with Newman. Bruce Dunlevy is a representative from Benchmark. That's the VC firm that successfully ousted Travis Kalanick before Uber's IPO. So all of them, they'll have to weigh founder risk and reward in the coming days and decide if Newman stays. Melissa?
1: Deidre, it's interesting because when we talk about the impact on SoftBank, a lot of people say it'll impact SoftBank's ability to invest in other companies, Companies who presumably need money, but nobody talks about the impact on raising the investor money, which it's trying to do right now, because in the eyes of an investor, if you're going to side with management all the time, you don't have my best interests in mind.
8: Melissa, that's a really good point, right? They have to tread very carefully. As I said, you've got the founders on one side, and that's right. They have to show that they're tough and going to protect their investments. So in one sense, when you have all of these LPs deciding if they want to throw billions into the hat with Massa San, it could actually be seen as a good point that he's willing to get tough against a founder that is acting the way that Newman is, which could be concerning to many.
1: All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa on the WeWork a saga, if you will, because this is it a, is a saga. saga. And it started not with these Revelations, it started with when the boards allowed all of this to start happening. It started when they said, okay, with dual class structure. It started way back before this initial report. Yeah,
3: and I think a lot of investors are. Surprised to hear that it's coming to surface now, when a lot of this information, I think, was already out there. I think a lot of the questions around the insider dealing, too, were things that that, that frankly, largely out there. It's not difficult to understand. They are there, you know, they're the landlord and their own tenant all at the same time. That there's, um, I, I, I think the social elements of how hard partying, you know, the C the C suite is. I don't think that's really what this comes down to. I think it's it's a, it's more of a culture that that really is built around whether this is truly a company that's been totally transparent. By the way, Silicon Valley pushes back very much says, this isn't a tech company. So, I mean, I think there's this whole dynamic, too, of really what you're buying. Should this be a high-multiple, high-flying tech IPO? And, in fact, most people out there say absolutely not.
5: And plus, what uh, you just said about a board, the board's responsibility to a non-public company and then a public company, I think, sometimes is that gray area where the non-public, the board, wants the company to be successful so they back management. Regardless of what the ideas are behind the management team, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if this was still a fifty billion dollar valuation, we'd be talking—not we,
4: but people would be talking about what a great structure it is, and there's a visionary founder and CEO. And it's just when things go pear-shaped, is when it gets bad. And to your point, what also sort of put the cherry on top—don't discount that Sam Zell interview a couple weeks or so ago on Squawk on Squawk Box. I mean, he basically stuck a pitchfork in this thing, and it's been going down ever since. With that said, you know, SoftBank doesn't want their, tarn- they want to be tarnished. I think it's a little bit too late. And we had a conversation on Friday. Again, unintended consequences of Federal Reserve's or central banks around yeah. the world people are looking to throw money at places, and quite that's, frankly, that's it. To me, it.
0: that's why this is a bigger story than just an eccentric Silicon Valley founder who needs to be replaced by a CEO type to get the IPO done. That's a story as old as time. This goes to the heart of what's going on. This is where the bubble is. This is what's happening. Remember when you talked about bonds and the, and when things blew up in 2007, 2008? There was covenant light. Mm-hmm. There was no governance. All these things. It's happening again, but it's happening in the VC world. And SoftBank is at the part of it. Place. but th- we have a bubble in money there's too much money it's trying to find itself and you get stuff like this and i think we're going to look back and i'm not saying that things are falling apart tomorrow but i think we're going to look back and point at
3: we work and say you know what that's when the vc bubble burst but but the but the fed bubble is not going to burst i mean i'm not and by the way i'm not suggesting that there aren't a massive systemic risks. i'm just telling you that that bubble in terms of liquidity can't burst tomorrow. In other words, we're going to have a lot of liquidity for a long time, right. uh, and I don't see how that changes. So I agree with you, and I, I couldn't agree with you know, a, anyone who's ever said on this desk, when money is free, a lot of bad decisions have made. I would echo that. I would slam dunk it. But I would also say we work as an example. Uh, you brought this up, Mel, and we've all talked about this. The multi-share class structure that gave disproportionate voting to a group of insiders who don't seem to care and seem have, like they have major, major issues in terms of uh, integrity, transparency. That, to me, is what's killing this company because there's other companies out there yes. right now coming to market. And I agree with everybody here who are going to be problems. We're going to look back on a lot of this. But this is about corporate governance, in my view, and, yeah. and structurally profitable.
1: Dual shares are always okay until they until are not, not, and there right. is no recourse. Um, for more on WeWork, head on over to CNBC.com. Coming up, markets making a comeback. And one top JP Morgan strategist says there are three things that could drive another rally. He will tell us what they are. We're live from Times Square, in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Markets kicking off the week. In the green, our next guest says there are three things that could take us back to new all-time highs. Phil Camporelli of J.P. Morgan Asset Management joins us now. Okay, three things. What are they?
9: So the first is fundamental. So we do not have a recession, in our view, over the next 12 months. Usually when that happens, stock market tends to trade higher. And and that, of course, is driven by what is debatably the strongest U.S. consumer we've seen all cycle. Mm -hmm. Second thing is valuations. This is not an expensive market. We may be 1% away from all-time highs, but from a P.E. standpoint, how much are investors paying for earnings? About 17 times. 25-year history is about 16.2 times. Nowhere near euphoric. I think the technical side is probably the strongest, Melissa. So you have about $800 billion that flew into bonds and cash funds this year. A tsunami of flows into cash funds and into fixed income funds, about $200 billion out of equity funds. And probably the most important driver is the Fed. And Tim, you've mentioned it. Biggest difference between this year and last year, the Fed on October 3rd of last year, or almost at a year anniversary, said we're far away from our neutral rate. And we're going to be hiking rates in 2019. And now they're in an easing cycle. And usually, this whole cycle, when Fed keeps financial conditions easy, that is a tailwind, not just for prices, but also for P.E. multiples.
1: Why is it presumed that the money that has gone into bond funds and money markets or cash, that that will go into equities?
9: So I think it's it's hard to say that, that there's something that's cheap in this market. I think a lot of people said that. I will say, though, that cash is really expensive to hold. So I think... You know, bond funds are one thing. You need kind of a a sharp rise in interest rates. So how much specifically is in
1: cash versus bond funds plus cash, which is, I believe, what you gave me in terms of the $800 million. Yeah, so it's about about half of the
9: So about 400-odd into into fixed income, about 400-odd into cash. Because remember, coming into this year, cash was the only asset class that worked last year. Right? Cash was the only positive asset class. So everyone was saying, let's go invest in cash. Just like the year before, everyone was saying, let's go invest in EM because it went up by 38 in 2017. Mm-hmm. So there is, I think, kind of an emotional pain trade here that causes the market to grind. higher. I think that's the path of least resistance. Though.
1: So where are you on earnings? And, and if, yeah. if we get a spate of companies mm-hmm. that take down their guidance because the trade war is on and because yep. tariffs look like they're going to come into effect anyway, mm-hmm. Um, What happens to to your estimates? So,
9: lukewarm on earnings. I don't want to make this an earnings story that we're going to have double-digit returns. on. So, versus consensus, you're below. So, we're at about 3 or 4% on earnings. You get another 2% of dividends on top of that. That's kind of mid to high single digits. What you do get, though, what you do get, I think, is the PE expansion. If you go from, say, 17 to 18 times, that's 5% right there. Uh, And I think in a world where you have, and I want to caveat this. In a world. In a world. In a world where you have some sort of de-escalation. Not a grand trade deal. That's not what I want to say, but a, but a de-escalation of trade, which is, I think, politically where China and the U.S. look like they want, they want to do right now. I think you can get a little bit of multiple expansion from here. But ultimately, until the election next year, there's going to be no great, no great trade deal. Also, volatility is cheap. Just buy a call option on the S&P and get some downside protection.
4: So in a world where, you know, the 10-year <laughs> went from 147 to 180, yep. backed up a little bit. Are ra- rising rates a bullish thing for equities?
9: From these levels, they are. They yeah. definitely are. And, and, and you know, 2's 10's inverted in August. And if you bought the equity market the day Tuesday's 10's inverted on August 26th, and uh, closed inverted, S&P's up 4% here. Why? Because rates have actually backed up in September. I'd take a trip down to 1% on the 10-year. If the Fed does have to go three or four more times from here, that's a bearish story for but, the equity but market.
3: But I would push back and just say you've been lauding um, lower rates in terms mm-hmm. of equaling P.E. No. expansion and mm-hmm. forcing people yep. into the equity market. Uh-huh. excuse me, higher rates to me would just be uh, Dang actually uh, yep. the opposite of that, no? Nope.
9: Yeah, so we were most scared last year in February when people were calling for a 3 or 4% 10-year Treasury. That's a much different financial condition story that was at that point driven by a couple of hot inflation numbers. It lasted for like two weeks, right? I think from a trip from 175 on the 10-year to 225, investors would love that because i think that would mean that financials were in better health maybe the curve would be a little bit steeper in that environment because the fed would keep the front end on hold and i think that would be a a confidence
1: boost for the market what's your target
9: so the s&p mid to high single digits over the next year i mean we're not talking about a fist pounding view on on the s&p because we can't get there with earnings just yet uh, but but it is it is higher than here it's our highest confidence bet
1: Phil, thanks. Good sure. to see you. Phil Camporelli, J.P. Morgan.
5: So I, I, I get Phil's premise, mm-hmm. um, and I understand even it sounds
1: like a big buts coming. Yes. No, no, no,
5: because it's based on the Fed not disappointing. Never mm-hmm. underestimate the Fed's potential to disappoint at a meeting, or be too wordy at a meeting, or in between. For those for those reasons, that's why I'm a little bit hesitant to say off off to the races with the S and P. See, so it's interesting. When you just what did you just say to Steve
4: before? Sounds like a, Sounds big, like a buzz big buzz coming woman. Yeah, yeah. I got all excited. I thought like Kim Kardashian was coming on the show for the first time. <laughs> you know, this? she
1: actually oh followed my. me on the Twitter wow.
3: briefly. Wow. Brief, just briefly. Briefly. Years ago. Yeah. So decent Sir mix song, by the way. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Sir mix
1: Baby got back? Not where he's
3: likes... Oh, right. So he, he likes a Terrible he conversation. You brought it up. Terrible I, conversation. Uh, I didn't guy, bring it up. It.
1: You brought it up. Yeah. Right. Coming up, retail making a comeback. <laughs> Could this be a sign that a bigger retail reawakening is in the cards? We'll debate it. Plus, the NYSE launching its long-awaited Bitcoin futures. First trade was yesterday. Our very own Bitcoin baller, BK, will tell you what that really means for the crypto world. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Lululemon stretching higher oh, nice. today oh. following a bullish overweight initiation by Piper Jaffrey. The firm also setting a price target of 227 bucks on the stock, citing Lululemon's impressive growth in China and growing opportunity in its men's category. This, as About a broader time. XRT, the retail ETF, broke a five-day losing streak. Retail, one of the best-performing groups in today's session. So could this be the beginning of a bigger retail a revival yes well the
4: retail revival has been happening Happening, i mean it started with nordstrom's and it's been obviously lululemon you can say target walmart at all-time highs so i don't know if it's the beginning i think we're actually closer to the end Hmm. we've been i think collectively bullish lululemon Pete series talked about it (laughs) at a certain point valuation's going to matter the same way it mattered for under armor it's sort of the zenith of their growth we're not there yet so i think lulu can continue to trade higher but to answer your question I think we're getting a little uh, late in the
5: game in terms of the retail. You're doubling your total addressable market, basically. And that's not even with international. Then then it's a 2x uh, multiple there. So I'm not worried about multiples yet. It's up 60% year to date. You have guys coming in now, not just women, but Ulta, another name in retail. Slammed. I'm in the name. It's bouncing. Mm -hmm. It has much further to go.
1: Well, Still in it. So well, All bigger. these are reversion yeah. trades.
5: You saw them as so beaten up that it's not just about fundamentals. It's, it's just about that's, where they want to get to with the comps going into Europe.
0: And, and that's the key. Separate kind of department stores like a Macy's Nordstrom's from something like Lulu. What's working? You stick with that one.
3: Well, if you think about what Piper, I think, is doing is interesting. They're saying, hey, look, look at Nike. Look at a couple other companies um, that are trading at peg ratios. So price to earnings growth of about two times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do that to Lulu, they can get this up, up to a $230 stock. And I think... Based upon the secular story they have, Steve's talking about doubling, you know, the size. Guy's going to be in there buying those ABC pants. I mean, I do think it's a case where you can make an argument just on the multiple alone.
1: Nobody likes BC, right? I I I have not met anybody who does. You're looking at buying your own pair.
0: I was looking at buying a pair, but I've lost, no, I've lost interest. I tried to buy it online. There's a store across the street. I couldn't get there. I've lost across interest. Across the
1: street.
4: He doesn't want to walk across the Why would you the buy them on the line when you can go across the street and feel the fabric and see? maybe? Because I come home, they're on. there. I put them on. Why do I gotta go across work.
0: the street? I hit a button.
1: That's it's the anyway, 21st he hasn't century, them. man. He hasn't get with them. it. Get on your AOL account and buy. <laughs> CompuServe, whatever <laughs> you have over there. Uh, speaking of retail, Nike getting a boost ahead of its earnings report after the bell tomorrow. Options traders are betting the stock will race even higher on the results. Let's get to Mike Ho with all the options action. Hey, Mike.
10: Hi there. So the options market is implying a move of about 5% when Nike reports earnings. That's pretty much in line with what we would normally expect. We've seen moves of about an average of 4% over the last eight quarters. There was very heavy volume today, well over three times total options volume on average, and we saw most of that in the call side. Calls outpaced puts by about two to one, and where they were most active were the October 95 calls. Over 12,000 of those traded for an average price of about 40 cents. Now, normally when we see this kind of activity, we're seeing buyers of those calls, and those would be bets that the stock is going to race through that strike by at least the premium they paid. But in this case, they actually were sellers, and I'm guessing that they were doing that against long stock positions. So while this is still a bullish bet, it is a much more modestly bullish one, because you want stocks to run to your short strikes, not through them. So this is basically a bet that is probably not going to break out to new highs, but this is usually a position that is put on by people who are still comfortable owning the stock nevertheless. So looking maybe for some modest increases, but no more than 7 or 8% by October expiration.
1: Tim, as a Nike shareholder, are you concerned about what the company is going to say about China? I mean, investors breathe a sigh of relief when the they, company didn't have anything bad to say about China last quarter.
3: They were flying in the face yeah. of sentiment yeah. from almost every other company. Um, yes. It, and so if they said something that would be certainly you know, aggressive on China downside, of course, but they've also been the beneficiary of turning around their North American story, and I think that's really been the driver for the multiple. So I'm more concerned about North America than China for Nike.
1: I mean, ramping up DTC, direct-to-consumer, has been a clear Clearly, for not, not for Brian
3: Kelly, apparently, but for no. the rest of the no. world. No.
1: I mean,
4: I'm exactly the direct-to-consumer customer. Friend, I am you are. That co- yeah, He's not the going across right. the to go beyond the line. Buy it on the line.
0: Well, because they were sold out. Oh, That's oh. why I like Lulu so much. They're sold out on
4: the line. It's an interesting point. Ninety dollars has been atop a few times. Mm. So. The strike price Mike talks about, the 5% move, squares you right up with $90. bucks. i am inclined to rather buy it on a breakout above 90 than to try to play stock market ahead of a quarter, which they could say just about anything, especially with 26 times forward earnings. So I would wait and see what
10: they say.
1: All right. Mike Coe, thanks for the action. And for more Options Action, tune into our full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, the NYSE parent company launching Bitcoin futures over the weekend. Our crypto baller BK will break down what the move means for the rest of the crypto space. Stay with us. Fast Money's back right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's the time all you Bitcoin bulls have been waiting for. The owner of the NYSE launching long-awaited Bitcoin futures uh, on Sunday. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with more. Bob.
2: Hi, Melissa. NYSE owner Intercontinental Exchange, or ICE, launched their long-awaited Bitcoin futures market on Sunday night. It's part of their new venture. It's called Bact that aims to make bitcoin easier to use as a medium of exchange. Now, that hasn't quite happened yet, due largely to the volatility of the cryptocurrency. So an interesting twist. Back has reportedly teamed up with Starbucks in a venture that might allow customers down the road to convert digital assets like bitcoin into U.S. dollars that could be used at Starbucks. Again, down the road, potentially. The new futures product comes a little less than two years after rival CME launched their own bitcoin futures product a similar product run by cboe cbo was discontinued in march of this year Backs bitcoin futures has two twists that distinguish itself from the cme first physical delivery cme settles their contracts in cash you don't have to hold physical bitcoin but traders who hold the back product will be paid in bitcoin or deliver in bitcoin why physical some may want to hold bitcoin long term second the contracts expire after a single day a single day it's an interesting idea think about merchants. So if you are a merchant, you just want to cash out, you can do it in a day and get your money almost immediately, eventually. They also have monthly contracts as well. Will all this make Bitcoin more widely accepted? Well, nobody knows. But I think it's one more step that allows professional investors to buy Bitcoin. And I CEO Jeff Sprecher, he's got a long history of making electronic markets successful. Back to you, Melissa.
1: Bob thank you. So BK, what is the implication for Bitcoin more broadly. So it's
2: it's
0: a great step forward, right? Today it's not anything that's going to be a massive catalyst, but if you think about what Bob talked about, this kind of tie up with Starbucks, I believe Starbucks is an investor with them, and the way that this product is structured is that what Starbucks is going to be able to do is you go in with Bitcoin, they're going to have Bitcoin on their books, you pay with it, they'll be able to hedge out any of the volatility which has been a big, you know, negative for Bitcoin, and they can then at the end of the day have cash. So it's a great hedging mechanism. It gets that's that medium of exchange out there. So I think over the next six months, 12 months, this is one of those things that you point to and say, you know, when when back launched those futures, that's when the medium of exchange story started to pick up. So longer term, it looks good.
1: It seems like a real pain in the you know what mm. for, for merchants more broadly to have to hedge. The currency they take in. There's
0: plenty of people that'll do that for you, though, right? There's plenty of people that live, that work all around here that'll that'll hedge that out for you. They'll do it for a fee. So they do it with foreign currency. You, you, Starbucks operates in a hundred companies, hundred
3: countries around the world. They hedge out foreign currency all day long. But with the volatility, um, I, I, I hate to be I. I, I Certainly see the the, the rationale here. But again, with currency exchange, and I know you're not saying it's necessarily a currency exchange or a store of value, but um, I think you've said very different things, even though you believe that could be part of it. But that's the real thing. If you're using it as a currency, having a wildly volatile currency that you have to hedge against is one of the reasons why people in emerging markets probably want to use Bitcoin. Yeah, no,
0: listen, the volatility right now does not make it viable as a everyday use of currency. This is one step as we get more financial products to get the volatility tamped out a bit
5: hey, this, this is just this in a vacuum to, to bk 's point before we go and dive in domino deep on this this is something that gives traders a lot more confidence that 's it in a nutshell it 's not the tipping point but it definitely adds more credence to the Bitcoin story. Mm
1: -hmm. So do institutional investors increasingly invest in Bitcoin? So the
0: one thing that this will do is, as they have those monthly contracts, because they have physical storage, which would be electronic, like cold storage, this is like a custody solution. So it will bring institutions in that need that custody solution. It'll also tie the price of Bitcoin to the futures a little bit better, because you'll have the same customer who holds spot Bitcoin, can trade against it, can sell futures against it, the prices of the contract and the spot should come in a little bit again again an incremental step towards reducing that volatility
1: coming up one casino titan says president trump is rolling the dice on china will bring you his big warning plus take a look at our kramer cam jim is talking cannabis with the new Ca- canopy growth ceo that full interview coming up at the top of the hour on mad money we're live at the dazak in times square much more fast money still ahead Welcome back to Fast Money. President Trump is rolling the dice on China. Well, that's a big warning from casino titan Sheldon Adelson. The Wall Street Journal reporting that the Las Vegas Sands CEO called President Trump to discuss how escalating trade tensions could hit the U.S. economy and hurt the president in his re-election race. Of course, casino stocks among the hardest hit in this trade war. He didn't call President Trump specifically about the casino industry, but still coming from a casino magnate...
4: And I, I think wonder. I think Mr. Adelson is one of his bigger backers as yes. well. So yes. you have to wonder yes. I mean, yeah. there's a subtle pressure being put on. So now you look at the casinos, do they make sense here? Well, LVS has been in a significant downtrend, lower lows, lower highs for quite some time. Winhan, on the other hand, you know, this one oh five to one oh eight level has been support a couple times. So if you are of the belief, which I am not, by the way, but if you believe there's a deal around the corner, I think win is extraordinarily cheap at current levels.
3: I think, first of all, speaking to the broader element of what Mr. Aylson could be talking about in terms of, hey, look, from your political constituency perspective, you've fought this battle and you've gained enough points. More importantly, you're going to lose the election if the market is not on the sides of the investors. So the wealth effect is clearly going to be where people are voting. Back to casinos, I still think Macau is a major part that is also somewhat of a regional dynamic. It's Big Brother in China, it's Macau, but it's certainly Hong Kong. Um, and I do think, as Guy points out, you know, Win has been a poster child here. I tell you what, at 108, the valuation is very, very supported. As is the chart, you buy it.
1: I mean, the Hong Kong protests have been going on for four months now, even leading into the 70th uh, anniversary of the People's Republic of China.
5: It's ridiculous how you you expect there to to be less violent or the story to, to gather less newsworthiness. And it seems like it's just prevalent constantly. But Las Vegas, you get Singapore as well as Macau and Vegas. I'd go there if you want to invest. Yeah,
0: I, I, I mean, I think you have to prove these have to prove themselves to you, right? There's just too many risks out there, and then if there is a lifting of the trade war, you're going to have all kinds of time to buy these things. So for me, it's a no
6: touch at this point.
1: It's interesting that Sheldon Adelson actually called him to to warn about this, since it seems like every both sides of the political aisle are moving more towards being China hawks. If you take a look at all of these debates that are going on, which is
5: vested. Yeah. Sorry, he has a vested interest in making them back off it. So you don't right, need a, necessarily true. an agreement as much as just lack of aggressiveness on the trade. Front. I, I just think that ultimately, though, Sheldon
3: probably thinks if he does not do enough and the economy falls pressure under this yeah. or the market falls pressure, mm-hmm. that's going to be more important than getting on a limb on China.
1: Yep. Up next, final trade. Time for the final trade, Tim Seymour. We
3: talked about Nikes, we talked about DTC. Not worried about this multiple and not worried about this peg ratio. I stay in this name.
1: BK Brian Kelly. So you don't fight the
5: Fed. I think they want a steeple yield curve. Way to do it is buy KRE. Steve Grasso. Ulta. Bought it about a week and a half ago. It's up about $10. I think it's moving in another $10 higher, but I can't fault you if you want to take profits right here.
4: Mel, if you were the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday, would you have taken that delay of game penalty to push your kicker back no. an additional five yards to get a better no. angle? Yeah, she, no, she, you would She were was talking that. about that before the show. You know, it's her knowledge not. of football. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, it's you know, unbelievable. Part of, our, part of her job. Many
1: talents. You know what?
4: I don't advocate eating there often, but McDonald's the stock's done everything you want it to do.
1: We will see you back here tomorrow 5 for more Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim begins right now.